Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pina Jarian, Tim Seymour, David Seberg, and Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast, financials posting their longest losing streak ever, and it's make or break time for the group as they head into a crucial test tomorrow. Could it be a no-win situation? We'll explain. Plus, it's a Fast Money first. The man, the myth, the legend, William Shatner, a.k.a. Captain Kirk, will join us. And get this. He's exploring the new final frontier, Bitcoin, as Spock might Whoa. say, logical. Wow. <laughs> you won't want to miss that. But first, we start off with the trade war chaos, and it has been a crazy week as White House Trade Director Peter Navarro attempted to soothe the markets. Then Press Secretary Sarah Sanders jumped in refuting some of those statements. Trump then spoke up and said there's really no uncertainty. And then this morning, Secretary Mnuchin chimed in to smooth things over again. Stocks were up. They were down. They were up again. And our own Bob Bassani and Rick Santelli were in overdrive trying to cover the wild market moves after each Trump official spoke. But turn that off and move away from all this trade chaos and uncertainty for just a second. Here is what we do know. Three main things. China's in a bear market. The yield curve is the flattest it's been since 2007. And the Fed still in hiking mode. If those three, three things don't change, are we heading back to retest the market lows of the year? Guy. So the S&P, the market low, I think was 25, 35 or so-ish a few months ago. To test that level again, I think it would be potentially pretty devastating because if we test it, we're going to go right through it. I don't happen to think we're going to do it. I think the market's had every opportunity to get down to those levels with emerging markets down considerably, with the yield curve now two tens at 35 basis points, with China in a bear market. We haven't been able to do it. Today, I think, was a lot of noise, a lot of the tariff noise, and I think a, a, a positive comments out of the White House gets us all back. To me, this is just noise. With that said, I do think the Fed, and we talked about it for the last couple of weeks, their hawkish tone that Wednesday at two and a half weeks or so ago, to me, is the biggest concern of the marketplace. Well, I, I tell you what, I mean, I, I think I look at a market that outside of technology, which has now rolled, off, rolled very, very hard. Look at the semiconductors. Intel suddenly looks like a Chinese stock. It's down, it's down 16 percent in 17 days or something like that. But I'm seeing lower lows for the rest of the market, the financials, the industrials. Look, the Dow is through the 200-day, um, and people have rejoiced at how well the market has bounced off the 200-day. I would argue it's really the opposite. I don't think we've really been able to clear that. And I look at the Treasury curve in, in the 10-year, and you can start to make an argument for for, you know, maybe we'll ask our chart guy later, but a head and shoulders on, on rates, which tells you that things could go a lot low on rates, which means we're very concerned about growth. The trade ranker, it's absurdly complicated for something that's already complicated when you get five different people saying five different things. I mean, today the action was a little bit different. We, we closed on the lows of the session for the S&P 500 as well as the Nasdaq. And as far as the yield um, curve, we went sub 32 basis yeah. points in terms of the spread between twos and tens. We haven't seen that 
in more than a decade. Yeah, I know. And I look, just to get back to the trading action today, I mean, we did close in the lows. I think, you know, we've seen, we're closed actually right on support for the S&Ps. Look, I, I look at it and say, look, we're headed into a, a very, very, you know, long sort of week of vacation. People are going to be off the desk. The risk tolerance right now is incredibly low for the institutions. So that sets us up for a little bit more fear in the marketplace. Today was a cluster of mis mixed messages, and we got them across the board. And the one thing the market hates is uncertainty. So although I am a little, I'm with Guy, it'd be a disaster if we went back and test those lows. I don't think we will. There is a setup here. There's the, the chance that we do unless we get a clear message about what's happening regarding trade. Good we luck a, on that. Yeah, that's really. Right, by the way. I mean, we <laughs> saw that this week. Uh, in front of this train. Yeah, and that's going to have to play out over time. And obviously, we've got a lot more volatility in the market over the last couple of days. It's starting to come back out and right back in once again as we flipped in the second half of today. But it's interesting to watch as obviously you talk about noise. This has been nothing but noise around us for a while now and having to navigate around that. It's not very easy. And to Dave's point, if the desks are thin, if trading starts to get thinner as we get closer to the holidays, that really does set up for some more lows potentially. And that, that's a little bit concerning. Again, if I like the fundamental stories of some of the companies that are getting swept down at the same time, I think there's opportunities Have out you there. used this dip to buy? I have bought a few things recently, absolutely, but I am definitely somebody who's really looking at it once, twice, three times, four times, and wanting to make sure. Do I really want to be in here now, or do I think this is going to go a little The long? next week and a half is going to be very tricky. I mean, obviously, next week we've got the holiday in the middle of the week. We have a jobs report on Friday, too. I mean, how... What do you do? Well, Close your eyes? We, we <laughs> Go away about for a while? The, you know, you love the barbecue, by the way. I mean, you, you would be checked chef. out otherwise, right? I uh, first of all, just so we all understand, I can barbecue like nobody out there. Right. I may Sounds master. like a challenge. Slow I have one down. of those green egg things. It's, it's, Slow down. You well, should come over and check it out. Gets it all shipped. I wasn't invited, <laughs> by the way. He opens up the anyway. green egg and there's blue apron. Please. <laughs> Continue. I don't think, I think, I do think the Trump administration focuses on the stock market more than any administration to date. And I think that if the market does begin to get out of hand, they will waltz back out, Mr. Navarro or Mr. Cudlow. Now, whether or not we've reached the point of diminishing marginal returns, we'll find out. But I think they'll do everything they can, especially with Fourth of July week, to assuage whatever fears are out right. there. Look, that's exactly the point. This market's benchmark, and we've said it, or this administration's benchmark, is the S&P 500. 100 percent agree with Guy on that front. They need to come out with a clear message. I don't think they can message. control it. That, I mean, that's, first that's, of all, on July 6th, you're going to get another round of transactions right. just because you have to. Procedurally, they're going right. to put those things in there so they can then have a negotiation period to possibly dial it back. But the headlines aren't going to be good. Um, bottom line here is it's getting more complicated. And I think we're seeing the business confidence begin to dry up a little bit. Um, either way, in an environment where the Fed was probably going to overreach a little bit, I think you have an environment where people are taking less risk. Now We've more. talked a number of times about this notion of the Trump put. Do you still believe in that notion at all, or have we just grown so accustomed to it that it's losing its impact? Well, I, I think so far it hasn't lost its impact yet. I well, mean, as we've, came we, on, we've been we had a turn in the futures, and then we yeah, fell. For today. Yeah. And, and we'll see what happens tomorrow. I mean, each, each day, obviously, the tweets and everything else, Mel, comes in, and all of those are factors, and we have to be conscious of that. But, you know, to Tim's point, are they getting a little bit less? Or do they have a little less strength, I think, is sort of what yeah, you're no, I, I, That's what I, I think would, is happening. I would say it's weakening a little bit, a little bit. But we'll see if, you know, there could be something that could really turn this thing. 
Today, that flip from the pre-market to the market itself and up 200-plus points, yeah. that seemed pretty daggone good. It did. And then we started to see that thing tip right back over yeah. again, and that's where the negativity really kicks All in. All right. Well, for more on what trade uncertainties means for the markets and your investments, let's bring in Rebecca Patterson, Chief Investment Officer at Bessemer Trust. Rebecca, always great to see you. Great to be here, So always. we started off the top with this notion that, you know, this trade stuff, nobody knows how it's going to turn out. But if you strip it away, there are a number of things to be concerned about in the markets themselves. How do you view the markets and where we are? You mentioned already the yield curve. You mentioned Chinese equities. You had one more on your list. Fed hiking. Fed hiking. Yeah, that's there. And I'd say of those three, the one that I'm worried about most is the Fed hiking, especially if we get more inflation than expected. I mean, oil, we saw today, we had a big rise in oil. Despite OPEC cutting, oil seems to be hanging in there. That continues. Gasoline prices weigh on the consumer. So inflation in the Fed, to me, would be the top of the list. The yield curve, if we go back to World War II, after the curve inverts, you have had six to 24 months before the recession starts. So I think everyone's getting very focused on this front page of newspapers, and everyone thinks, oh, my God, I have to ring the bell, go to cash the minute it inverts. Historically, that hasn't been a good trading strategy. And when we look at jobless claims, we look at business con and consumer confidence, we're still seeing global growth that's over 3%, closer to 3.5%. Second quarter U.S. GDP, it looks like it's tracking around 4%. So I don't think the recession is imminent, but there are, we're late cycle. The yield curve tells us we're late cycle, and the, the policy error risk gets larger late cycle. So it seems like this has um, been sort of a game of giveth and taketh away. Yes. And so we're just taking a look at the, the puts here in, in the givebacks in terms of the market direction. Are, are we to assume that you're saying that things are sort of on the precipice right now where if the Fed does hike, that could really hurt the markets? The Fed's going to hike, They're right? And the market right, right. is discounting some of that. And whether we get one more hike this year or two more this year, I don't think matters a huge amount. But if we look at the next year or two years and the Fed continues at a certain point, and we don't know what that moment is, what's the yield? What's the real yield where things tip, where borrowing costs get too high, where it starts to hurt profit margins more? It's coming. I don't think it's now. I mean, and we are seeing responses. You guys all saw China cut interest rates in the last few days. It's letting its currency weaken a little bit. It's stimulating. So the second biggest economy in the world is taking some action to try to offset possible trade wars. Um, so it is a push and pull. It's not a one-way street. So my question, does a recession cause the market to sell off, or does a market sell-off cause a recession? I, I think it's the latter, but I'm curious to see what you That's think. That's a great question. Um, you know, historically, well, we all know this, the markets anticipate what's going to happen. And so if we, if we wait to see non-farm non payrolls decline, we've already probably missed the first 10 or 15 percent of the S&P decline. But there are leading indicators to watch. We're all talking about the yield curve, business consumer confidence, for sure. That's a biggie. And it's still holding up pretty well. Um, if you look at pending home sales, forget the home sales data we saw today, pending home sales, what's happening in the future, architectural billings, what people are planning before they break ground. There's a number of really good leading indicators we can watch that tell us when it's time to start de-risking more. I don't think we're there yet, but I think once you see the data start to roll over, to your point, it exacerbates the market sell-off. And I think this next one's going to be nasty because of algos, because of the influence of exchange-traded funds. I think it, it might not be as deep a recession, but it could be a very fast equity sell-off into the recession. We're not there yet. But when it comes, you don't want to be late to that game. Last quick question. What sectors do you like the best in this environment? <laughs> <laughs> 
So that was pretty, wasn't it? I just did that on live TV. I usually say that for my children. Um, you know, we have been building since last fall an overweight position in commodities and energy equities and, and added some hard commodities to our portfolio in January this year. Late cycle as a hedge against inflation. I like holding on to that position. Um, we are overweight technology right now. That's today that didn't feel so good, but I think there's a bigger structural story there. I'm okay holding on to that, although I do worry when we finally see that suspended bear market, it's such a crowded trade. Is it, are we going to have a washout at least for a period of time? All right. Rebecca, thank you. Good to no, see you. No, great to see all of you. Thank Rebecca you. Rebecca Patterson of Bessemer Trust. Pete, what would you do today? You know, uh, the only uh, thing I did all day long, just one, one trade, ConocoPhillips. Uh, you know, in, in the energy space, I'm already overweighted. It took me a long time to think about whether I wanted to jump in there or not. And you and I talked about it today as an unusual activity. But that was it. But you know what? Energy continues to just look so strong. It's yeah. been impressive to watch some of these names along the way. And we've seen nothing but energy hitting into our system. So that's where I was today. Yeah, and, and interesting, you know, even a Freeport Mac or some of these global names that, that are outside of the energy sector, but we've talked about commodities here. Ultimately, trade war in the short run is actually going to be very positive for commodity prices. Look at what's going on in steel prices. So uh, I think some of these miners, and remember, a lot of people were not in this trade. And I think people, believe it or not, this is a safety trade right now. I think you stay with it. Uh, Boeing. I mean, buying Boeing. I know this is the poster child, if you will, for a trade war. I know there's all concerns about it. It's pulled back from 375. I don't think so, by the way. Well, I don't either. It's not a trade, I think not a trade war stock. It's not a trade war stock. Okay. I think, I think the <laughs> That's what I said a couple so, days yeah. ago. It is a name that, in my, in my opinion, you look at China. China needs Boeing. I mean, they, they have a backlog of seven and a half years. You've got Airbus. It's yes. got roughly nine and a half years. They can't just pull out. So they're going to need to buy Boeing planes. That's not going to shift by the stock and weakness. be a great segment for us, trade war stock or not trade I know, war stock. I just thought of it here. <laughs> Levered Energy plays. Anadarko continues to work. Shot and that? Yeah, and the reason why I'm trying not to be overly pessimistic is because some of these retail Hang in there. I mean, Target had a nice day on a lousy tape, as Early did Macy's. Yeah. So yeah. you have to try to find the good within the bad sometimes. Coming up, a top technician says Bitcoin is in no man's land. He will tell us the one level he says the whole crypto universe is watching. Plus, Tesla CEO Elon Musk taking his trolling to a new level in his next target. Goldman Sachs will tell you what his words could mean for the stock. And later, oil is surging. And Pete here says there's one energy stock that is about to break out to even higher highs. He will step up to the plate and give us his fast pitch. We are live from New York City's Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla CEO Elon Musk striking back at all the Tesla haters, telling anyone who doubts the company's Model 3 delivery expectations that they are in for a, quote, rude awakening. Phil LeBose in Chicago with the latest. Hey, Phil. Hey, Melissa, that was a company email, and there was also a link to a CNBC story. And that CNBC story was regarding a note from Goldman Sachs, where the analyst essentially reiterated his sell rating on Tesla. And here's the logic as far as Goldman Sachs sees Tesla right now. They believe that Model 3 deliveries will disappoint when they are finally reported early next week. The analyst says, look, the production rate in terms of being sustained at 5,000 per week, whether or not they hit it or not, it's, it's too volatile. 
And one of the things that people have talked about when they talk about that volatility when it comes to Model 3 and the production rate there is this video. We sent a crew out to the Tesla plant in Fremont. That's a tent, a makeshift tent, and that's where they're doing some of the Model 3 assembly work. It's not all of it, but some of it. And critics of the company have said, oh, well, that's ridiculous. You can't be building uh, vehicles out in a tent. This is an example of uh, how Tesla is just trying to jam these numbers through. Earlier today, Gene Munster, uh, we had a chance to talk with him from Loop Ventures. He's had a team out there. They've checked out these facilities. Here's his perspective on Tesla. Tesla is going to produce somewhere between 43 and 4,900 Model 3s in the final week of the quarter. Now, Elon Musk has been out saying it's going to be 5,000. 5, so right. This is a little bit of a mess, but I don't think that that changes the story here, which is a massive improvement, basically a doubling of Model 3 production uh, quarter on quarter. And I would view that as a positive for the story. So as you take a look at shares of Tesla, remember that the company does report its Q2 deliveries sometime early next week. It's usually the first couple of days of the uh, first month of the next quarter. So we're looking at between Sunday and Tuesday. And Melissa, even if Tesla does not hit 5,000 per week, I'm not really sure this stock is going to sell off. I think people are to the point where they believe it's so close or it'll be over 5,000 per week that we may not see a big snap reaction purely on the number in terms of Model 3 deliveries. I think this is the second time that I can at least remember, Phil, in the past month or so where Elon Musk uh, sort of chided the shorts out there. I'm wondering, yes. in, in all of your observations of Elon Musk going after the trolls or talking about the stock either up or down, what his general track record has been? Depends. I mean, he never gets too specific in terms of when he trolls the shorts or the skeptics on the company. He will say things like, well, you wait and see. Um, in this case... I mean, he's pretty clear. They're in for a rude awakening. Those who do not think they're going to hit 5,000 per week in terms of a production rate at the end of the second quarter. Um, so most people that I've talked with who track the company closely, analysts as well as those who are not on Wall Street, they are coming to the conclusion that he wouldn't have done this and he would not be as confident as he is yeah. if they cannot say, look, we made 5,000 per week, at least as a production rate when you extrapolate it. Now, the big question, as you guys are going to talk about, is whether or not they can sustain that as you go into the third quarter and then build from there. Yeah. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau you joining us from Chicago. Um, about that Gene Munster note, he was watching not what was going on in the tent, but the flatbed, the enclosed flatbeds that ship the Model 3s to the dealerships. And based on that, he came up with a run rate per week of 4,300. But what you have to keep in mind, and this I think the Wall Street Journal pointed out, was that, for instance, last quarter, they built a fifth of all of the 9,800 Model 3s in the final days of the quarter. So they're able, in the past two quarters, to dramatically ramp production to hit or come close to hitting that number. And if they do, so the, the implied question there is, what happens if they hit those numbers? Yeah. And, my, right. and my answer would be, it's going to rocket through the all-time highs we made right. around this time last summer, which was 380-ish mm. or so. What gives me greater concern than all this and the tents and Howard Hughes making planes in, in a tent in the middle of the desert, okay. which is effectively what he was doing, he was pretty successful, is the Tony Sakanagi note earlier this month when he said they might be overstating their margins. To me, oh. that's a real concern. I mean, that is actually um, borderline negligence, yeah. let's just say. It's but accounting, but, um, accounting right. you know, But with that said, the market seems to have shrugged that off. So Tony Sakanagi's note notwithstanding, I do think this stock trades higher.
Well, I, I think ultimately it is going to be about margins. In fact, I kind of want to see what happens when they get to 5,000 because while I've been outspoken, I think, against the, just, not the company, just really the share price and the valuation. And ultimately, I think if we have margin pressure here, I think this begins to challenge. I mean, what, what is the, the core asset that sets these guys apart? I think it's their data. I think it's, I think it's you know, the EV side of what they do. It's not their production story. So let's see how the margins are. Well, I think near term is the production story. I think going long into it next week, based on what he's tweeted or he's basically stated, I think is a no-brainer. Right, the stock's going to go up. He wouldn't do this if he if he misses. It's he's been wrong before. Off the off he, the hook he, for him. He's taunted and chided and done this before. He has, and he's but, been wrong. Like you said, with the specifics about five thousand hitting that number and be careful, Goldman Sachs. Like that's a real direct message. But you're you're and, saying you're saying if he's out there saying this, boy, yeah, he I must do. be right and he because must know something. In fact, he'll he's been out no there upside. and he's not. Known there's no yet. upside to tweeting that. There's no upside. Right. He to, could just stay silent. He will lose credibility <laughs> and investors will flee it. But I do agree with you. He's done this. How many times has he tell me? This is the first time he's been well, out there. Two weeks ago, shorts. he was talking about the shorts and how they should be I would say the every time. Pro- and and what, where's their track record on deliveries? Here's the Pete? biggest problem. I mean, and you're right. The deliveries, I, I, the track record's terrible. But here's the thing. Again, is it a car company or is it a software company? And that's what it always right. comes back down mm-hmm. to with Tesla. And when you're looking at that and you want to look at margins, you're right. Those margins start compact, contracting. That's going to be a problem. But the software side of this thing is why it's valued where it is. And I agree but with you. I think they deliver. It's going up. Still ahead. Bitcoin hovering near year-to-date lows, and one technician says it is testing a key level that could mark a major turning point for the crypto. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, First in Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. As markets teeter on edge, one group of stocks have gone wild. Oil and the moves are so downright obscene, we can't even show you. But Pete will tell you how to cash in with one Dow stock. Plus, gentlemen, beam me aboard. You got it, because Captain Kirk, a.k.a. Bill Shatner, is beaming on board Fast Money. Because he's got a new business that makes money on what else? Bitcoin. Logical. He'll be here to explain when Fast Money returns. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin still stuck just above 6,000, and that's got market watchers worried that the crypto is about to reach its breaking point. Bob Pisani is breaking it down from the NYSC. Hi, Bob. Hello, Melissa. Cryptos are having a tough time bouncing back from a really deep funk. Now, Bitcoin posted modest declines today, but it's been a 
disastrous month for the digital currency. It's down about 18%. That's just this month. Not only is there a straight line downtrend in place for most of this year, you see that there, but we are near, again, that psychologically important 6,000 level. There was huge volume the last time it very briefly broke that barrier in the early part of February. Now, cryptos have continued to fall this week, despite what some say has been good news. Today, for example, Facebook reversed its ban on crypto ads. Some thought that would help cryptos, but the response has been pretty modest. And on Monday, Tether issued 250 million tokens. That was just two days ago. And some, including Litecoin founder Charlie Lee, said this in the past has been a precursor for prices to go up of other cryptocurrencies. That's not happening either. So on balance, the bad news has far outweighed the good news. And I think that's the most important thing here. Last week, Bitcoin fell 6% in one day after Japan's financial regulator ordered several cryptocurrency exchanges to improve their practices against money laundering, against terrorist financing, and against unauthorized access. And who could blame the Japanese authorities? There were two break-ins at two different South Korean exchanges last week. And that's been a real blow to security and confidence overall. They've got to get their hands around that one. Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you, Bob. Bob Pisani. Well, our next guest says Bitcoin is stuck in no man's land, and there's one key level it needs to pass for a real comeback to happen. Let's head off the charts with Fundstrat's Robert Slimer. Robert, what are you looking at? Great. Thanks, Melissa. So let's take a look at the chart. I think some, there's some key points here. If we go back to the action that we've seen through the late part of 2017 and 2018, going all the way back through 16. Higher lows, higher, higher lows, higher lows, whoops, higher lows here. Then we come into this point here, right around 7,000, which is a very critical low. And the last time we were on the show, we were talking about 7,000 being very, very critical support. We're big fans of the 15-day moving average as a proxy for trend. We can see all the way through the late 2017 through 18. It's not perfect, but as a proxy for whether the trend is positive or negative, it's pretty good. And that was one of the reasons when we talked about this 7,000, 7,800 level being a very critical resistance level that Bitcoin had to get through in order to reverse that downtrend. And that 7,000 was very important on the downside because what we have now is a series of higher lows being broken. And by definition, you're now starting to see lower highs. You have a downtrend in place. And again, Bitcoin's now below that trend line. This level here, right around 6,000, 5,800 is absolutely critical support. A break of that, I think it takes Bitcoin down to 5,500, and that takes you all the way back to that trading range in here between 5,000 and 5,500. Now, let's take a look at the shorter-term chart. These downtrends, again, this takes us back to the beginning of May. This is the May-June downtrend. That's the 15-day moving average represented on a four-hour chart. And here again, that's that 7,000 level, that, or 7,800 level that was so important and that critical support level, first at 7,500, then at 7,000, that's broken. So now what? What do you do? It really is a no man's land from a trading standpoint. I think if you're a very short-term trader, we have a critical stop level right here. That's just around that 5,800, 6,000 uh, 6, level. And then the key resistance level that I think Bitcoin has to get through is around the 15-day moving average. That's 63 to 6,400. If it can rally through that, I think you've got a chance that Bitcoin's going to start to turn. Until then, the downtrend's intact. You have to respect that downtrend. You've got to wait for confirmation from a price standpoint before uh, implementing long side trades. 
Should we invite Robert over to the oh. desk? Oh, well, well, I'm so, asking well, you the question. Wow. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you make it Robert, you, You're not answering me. So and then I'm tonight you actually Robert, asked the question. Of course. Of course. Oh, oh, bring bring Meanwhile, he's talking about Bitcoin in limbo. We left him in limbo. I know. Right. You, I asked oh, you guys. Oh, oh, I left. It's my fault. Cricket here on the desk. Thank you, Michelle, for bringing the chair over. Okay, so it has to rally. Bitcoin has to rally through 63 or 6,400 in order to move higher. How convincing does that rally have to be in terms of in terms of volume, in terms of how sharply it goes up? I think it's a sustained move. Um, I'm not sure the volume is, is particularly important, given okay. what we see on the indexes. I think you made the point last time, it's hard to see where those volumes are. But I think if we think about what is happening, we have a downtrend. What defines a change in trend? First, you have to bottom. Momentum has to turn positive. Trend has to reverse, and that trend has to turn positive. And that 15-day needs to turn back up. So at this point, we're just seeing recovery rallies back to the 15-day, down to the downtrend, or back to the downtrend, and it's failing. So I'd like to see it get at least through that 15-day moving average before I have confidence that you're actually seeing another tactical shift in Bitcoin. Is there any significance to the 6,000 level? Because it seems to sort of be holding there. Well, it's the February lows. I think the number okay. is 5,800, at least right. on my charts. Uh, so maybe 6,000 is an important round number, but I think 5,800 is really the key line in the sand. Um, is Tom Lee... Also a fund strat, your colleague, maybe your boss. Um, does he sell 25K as his year-end target for That's Bitcoin? the year-end target. We're coming up to our half-year Do you year see part. that in the charts? I had that at the beginning of the year. Right, but do you see I, that now? It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I think Tom's made a very good argument why most altcoins are in purgatory into the, into the latter part of the year. We're seeing that. If you look at Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, all of those are coming down to test their April lows. That's still above where, I mean, Bitcoin's broken that level, but the other ones are still holding it at that key support level. So you guys have created a great index, actually, to look at a smile index. But what, where are we now? What is it, what's the reading on that now? Is it it's the worst ugly. it's ever been? It's pretty ugly. Yeah. And I think, I think if you think about the sentiment that you hear either on Twitter or folks, it's pretty nasty out there. People right. are pretty, uh, pretty unhappy. So. We play this game here on the desk. Which one? Yeah. Game? Which Which one? We say, if we showed you this chart, yes, you I was know thinking the same was, game. Were you thinking yes. the same thing? Yes. We're so inside each other's heads sometimes. So play it. Okay, so no, no. That's so I will. Play, I, not, I don't want to know what he thinks. I want to know what Robert thinks. <laughs> okay, sorry. Does it matter, Robert? I mean, are you at all? I don't want to say biased because that's not quite the right word. But are you influenced by knowing that this chart is Bitcoin versus? it being a stock. If you saw the same, where you saw it go practically up to 20,000 six months ago, and then now languishing here at 6,000. I mean, as a technician, I like to think I'm relatively- You're agnostic. Young. I'd like to yeah. think I'm agnostic. I mean, price is price. And again, when we talked about uh, Bitcoin a couple of weeks back, it had to get to those levels. It didn't, it failed, it took, took out key support. You now have a series of lower lows. So I think you have to err on the side of caution. Thank you, Robert. Robert Slimer of Fundstrat. I'm going to ask you that question now. I'd like to think I'm yeah. handsome as well, and uh, that ain't well, true either. No, if, if you look at it, if you but, play the game that you yeah, want to play yes. and just looked at it, the market does, we had a bounce off of 6,000, traded up to nine, failed. Well, here we are. Market doesn't give you a long time to sell the high, as we learned in December, mm. and it doesn't give you all that much time to buy the low. And we've been here for quite some time. Leads me to believe maybe we sell off. And one other thing, Ooh. I don't know, but maybe this sell off in China, which is in a bear market, maybe that's affecting Bitcoin. Who knows? So but you're not a technician. I'm an armchair and the, and the reason I bring that up, armchair no, but I think he's, a tarot card he's feeding in news, which is, I think, very important, which is probably why it goes low. All right. Still ahead, financials posting the longest losing streak ever as some of the biggest names in the space plunge. The traders will tell you which stocks they still love and which they are kicking to the curb. Plus, it is the final frontier for Bitcoin. 
Hollywood legend wow. William Shatner will be here in just a few minutes to break down how his latest crypto project could change the world as we know it. And later, Pete is bringing the heat with one surging energy stocks he says could soar even higher in the second half of the year. The name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Chipotle holding an investor call this afternoon. Kate Rogers is in the newsroom with the details. Kate. Hi, Melissa. That's right. We're hearing from new CEO Brian Nickel in what he called a state of the union of sorts with a focus on brand recognition and moving customers through its restaurants faster. A few highlights here. The company will be closing between 55 and 65 underperforming stores in coming quarters as part of a strategic review. This will cost between $115 and $135 million in restructuring charges in the next few quarters. They talked a lot about digital and innovation. The company says delivery is coming to the app this summer, which is interesting because they partner with DoorDash. This isn't done internally like Panera does, for example. Nickel also says digital now 9% of overall sales, approaching roughly half a billion dollars. He sees this as a multi-billion dollar opportunity in the future. They are also testing a mobile order pickup window and wall in some of their locations in Denver, where they actually piloted this. They said sales increased by double digits on digital. They're also going to be testing a new loyalty program that will launch in 2019. They also want to be seen as a lifestyle brand. They will focus on advertising in sports and fashion to become more relevant. The stock, remember, up nearly 60% since Nickel was announced as CEO back in February. Back over to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you, Kate. Kate Rogers. All right. So the massive stock run and a pretty big valuation. Um, PE is 68 right now. Who's a buyer? I think this is very spicy at these levels, if I may. I mean, spicy in a bad way. Because a lot of people really do enjoy spice. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. in fact, at one point, maybe it was the spiciness that got it here. But this, this multiple is no way defended with this kind of growth. And I think the stock, the nickel factor, very important, but I would be fading this. Technology could really uh, bring some yep, savings. We were talking right? about we're that talking as well. You know, in, the, in this world of fast food and, and all the rest of it, uh, technology has become a huge part of it, whether it's Domino's or anybody else. And he's coming from Yum, the new CEO, right. and the idea that he was at Taco Bell and all the different changes he'd made there. But I agree with you. I mean, right now, when you look at the valuation, They've got to be able to show us the growth that actually makes us think that this valuation doesn't look like it's absolutely In their glory it's days, they weren't times. trading at 68 yeah. times. Right. So, uh, no mas. From burritos. I see what Tim did there. Yeah, Very clever. That's what I do here. Super often. clever. Um, from Super burritos. Clever. From burritos to banks, financials, and focus as the Fed prepares to deliver the final results of its annual stress test tomorrow. And if there's one thing we know, it's that Wall Street loves the banks. Obviously, banks derated a lot already, you know, so I think uh, I think probably worse is behind us. We love financials. We like U.S. financials. I think the banks are set up. I like the financials. Wow. Sometimes love stinks. Shares at Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo, City, and Morgan Stanley all down double digits this year as the entire sector is in the midst of its worst losing streak ever. So as the banks gear up for the ultimate test tomorrow with the C-car results, we thought it'd be a great time to play a brand new game. This is a new game, guys. Ooh. We're calling Love It or Leave It. The rules oh, are pretty like simple. We'll go around the horn on the bank stocks. You tell us if you love it, in other words, buy it, uh, or you leave it meaning you right. take it to the curb. You don't want it. Exactly. Right. Very clear? Crystal. I hope so. Screw uh, it kick it off with Goldman Sachs, <laughs> down 13% so far this year. Pete, love it or leave it? Love it. I love it. I, I like I like where it's trading right now. Obviously, it's not very, <laughs> performed very well. Like That's fantastic. By Pete. The fundamental side of the story, it's all been there, just like all of the rest of the banks. But I think also... What we're seeing right now, they're going to have a different leader in not too many, not long from now, Solomon. And the direction that I think Goldman Sachs is moving is growth. 
And that's, it's, it's like going to technology when Microsoft had to transition from where they were to the next level of cloud and all the rest of it. This is, I think, what Goldman Sachs is going to Could be right exciting, now. I agree, right. but it, it could also be a sign that these guys need to reinvent themselves and the money center banks are a better place to be. No? Well, uh, the reason I would disagree is I still think there will be trading that's going to be great for them. Yep. But I think to, to manage that volatility there, if they got other areas that are a little more consistent, I think that's going to help. Them. Next up, Wells Fargo. Tim is up. Love it or leave it. Ah, I'm going to leave her. I mean, I, I got to. I mean, first of all, I think Wells Fargo has made some fatal mistakes, and that's a broken heart, folks. And you know what? It should be. Because I think Wells Fargo has broken a lot of people's hearts. I'm not leaving the banks, but if I'm looking around the, that entire sector, I'd rather be in J.P. Morgan or Citibank, of which I am. So bye-bye, Wells Fargo. you got to wonder if the Fed's going to sort of slap them on the wrist yeah. when it comes to the results tomorrow because uh, of uh, the past I, misdeeds. And I, I think it's just management's not going to have their eye on the growth story here, our eye on their ball as far as managing the business properly. So that's why I leave it at these levels. And I agree with Tim 100%. There are better alternatives within this space to buy them. I'll I'm talk so about one. I'm so glad this game is very clear. So we've had some well, we haven't got to that. The guy has not gone yet. And the animations <laughs> and, he looks, and all that. that. He's got a very confused look on his face. But it seems like we're spot face. on here with this love it or leave it. So okay, Seberg is up. Citigroup, yeah. Love it or leave it. I was a setup. I, I love it. I love City here, especially down 12% on the year. I mean, this is a name they've done a sure. tremendous there job cleaning up their balance sheet. You know, obviously, I, I love the fact they're returning cash to shareholders. I love the fact that we've got DREG, and it's going to be a tailwind for them, just like it will be for other banks. But this is one of three banks you must own here. I think it's a second-half story, and I'd be all over it. You know, I love this name as well. I'm, I own the name. But here's the one problem that we both have to deal with, the exposure outside the United States. Right. And, and how do you... They sold, they sold off a tremendous amount of divisions over there, and I know they've done a lot of work to clean that up specifically. I've talked to a lot of people on the line, a lot of people inside that have given me that sort of feedback, and I think this is a name that is going to be, I think, like I said, a second-half play. Again, CCAR coming up. These guys were never in a position to give back capital. They now are. Yeah. I think that's going to be a driver. Yeah. All right. Now you've observed all these guys play Watch, this game, guys. So now you're ready. All right. You know Morgan Stanley's the last almost. one. Guy, do you love it or leave it? Trade it now. I tell you what. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> No? Fade it. Is it a trade war stock? Trade war stock. Yeah. No, it's not. Are you hunting or punting? Love it or leave it, please. Okay, now let's get back on track. Love it. Thank you. Give me the the heart and throw that kiss. You go back to the last quarter. They bucked 45. The street was looking for $1.26. They blew away on revenues. Fixed income had great quarter. Equities had a great quarter. Book value in Morgan Stanley is now $39 and change. If you just put a what I think is a reasonable multiple on that of about 1.5, you get to a $53, $54 stock. So I see what's going on here. I do think there's something with Deutsche Bank that's causing systemic damage in our banks here. That concerns me, but I've got to be consistent. You think that's taking the you think yes. that's impacting I, I, the banks? I think share the prices. reason why banks here, these money, these big money center banks, are lower is all because of European banks. If you look, the regionals until today have traded well, which leads me to believe there's something else. Even going when on. the yeah. Fed is okay. now saying we're going to actually get rid of these tests because these banks have been so solid for four or five years it's now, so we, our balance sheets are fine. They've never been better. You're asking me what's dragging the. I'm saying that there could be potential <laughs> systemic risk from Deutsche Bank dragging it I down. I thought the that's heart. By the way, your heart looked like it. It was like, oh, like stuck up. Why are these hearts like they're not <laughs> solid? I don't like know. It's like, like stuck or like chip paint or something. That's because um, right. our crack staff in EC last two days. I know one man who's leaving it, Morgan Stanley, that is. Uh, let's get to Dan Nathan. He's oh. out of San Francisco. Oh, Dan. Dan. <laughs> 
You know, can, can we rename this game Laugh It or Leave It? Seriously, like, it's laughable. The parade of bulls, you know, the stocks just do nothing but go down every day, and, and we have to hear about how everyone loves this group. It's laughable. You know, if this group can't rally after C-Car, it's Dan, toast we for the did summer. This. So you oh, better leave them all. Look at, look at that. Jeez. Look at that. By the way, Mr. Mr. Bear himself. Who else is shocked by that reaction? You should leave you the broken heart up You on just Dan. got smooched, by the way, and it wasn't by me. That's just fine. Just so you know. That's what fine. What did you see in terms Love of the – the, the options oh. action, Dan. Yeah, so, so really interesting today, you know, the implied move between now and Friday's close because of the C-car in Goldman, in Morgan, in J.P. Morgan, in City and Bank America is about 2% in either direction. That's really hefty. Um, but in the XLF, where the, all of those are components of it, large components, the implied move between now and Friday is about 1.5%. It doesn't have that idiosyncratic risk. Today, call volume was actually really hot in the XLF, about two times that of puts. But the most interesting trade that I so it was the largest trade of the day. It was an opening buy of 21,000 of the July 27 calls in the XLF, paying 41 cents. Um, what's interesting to me about July is that not only do you get CCAR, but you're also going to get nine of the top 10 holdings in the F XLF are going to report between now and then. So you get two catalysts. And to my eye, the implied move in the XLF between now and July 20th close is about 3.5% in either direction. When you consider how badly these banks act, um, and you consider the catalyst, 3.5% in either direction seems pretty fair for the next three and a half weeks. So to me, that could be the way to play it, no matter what your uh, directional view is, is kind of being long options in the XLF. Thanks, Dan. Danny Downer. Sure. <laughs> Danny Downer, that's a good one. Oh, he was leaving action. Uh. Check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Still ahead, energy stocks have gone absolutely wild. The group tracking for their best quarter in seven years, up nearly 13%. Our own Pete Najarian says there is one name that could see an even bigger breakout. Find out what it is when he delivers his fast pitch. Much more fast money right after this. We have a news alert on BJ's Wholesale. Seema Modi's in the newsroom with more. Seema. Melissa, Reuters is reporting that BJ's Wholesale Club priced its IPO at $17 a share, the upper end of its indicated range of $15 to $17. The regional warehouse retailer goes public tomorrow on the New York Stock Exchange, where it is looking to raise about $700 million. Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you, Seema. Seema Modi in the newsroom um, with the latest on BJ's IPO. Is this a good time for a retailer to go public? Guy. Well, th th no, I would say in a, in a nutshell, no, it's not a great time. But is there ever really a good time for it? You have to at some point say, you know what, market influence, external factors. If we're lined up to go public, you go public and then you play the long game. So it's not the best time for retailers, but quite frankly, there is never a great time. All right. From a hot IPO to a hot sector, energy stocks going wild this quarter as oil soars above 70 bucks a barrel. Names like Marathon Oil, Hess, Valero, ConocoPhillips all surging out of control but if you missed the move, Pete says there's one name you can still buy. Pete's over at the Plasma for his fast pitch. What are you looking at, Pete? I'm looking at Chevron. I love this name. I love the management team. It's strong. This guy's been around for a really long time, been with the company since 1982. The CEO, he's been directing it from the midstream and all over the different map, all over geographically. I love what he's been doing for them. Earning strength. This company has so many different fundamental stories to it, but it's cash flows, it's some of the earning strength that we're seeing here, and the diversity of what this company is. And lastly, I want to just point out, because we're going real quick, 
acquisition strategy. The fact that they've gotten themselves into the Marcellus as well as the Permian, that is something that they never had any idea how big that was going to be. It has become huge for Chevron going forward. This is a company that absolutely rewards shareholders. They're buying back stock. They're doing everything right. Trades a little bit of a high valuation, but that free cash flow is unreal. Straight to the vote here. Tim, what do you say? Buying I tell you what, I love what he's doing with Chevron. I think in the integrated names, it's the name I want to own more than even Exxon or Royal Dutch Chevron. Siebert. I agree, especially with oil up here. I think the integrators is the safest way actually to play it right here. I'm agree with, uh, with Pete there. I'm a buyer. I would say it's a fair valuation on a forward basis, trading closer to 16. Is that uh, what is that? Not what is that? Fair I'm saying, are you buying? What, what's fit? your answer? You can't write fair valuation on the whiteboard. Buying it. All right. Clean sweep. Are Man. you at home buying Pete's pitch for Chevron? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. Results later in the show. And the man, Ooh. the myth, the legend, William Shatner, a.k.a. Captain Kirk, will be here to talk about how he is changing the future of Bitcoin mining. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. You've seen the highs in Bitcoin. You've seen the lows. Now it's time for the final frontier to seek out new coins and new crypto bulls. Our bears or bears to boldly go where no man or no trader has gone before. Our next guest is doing just that. You may know him as a legendary Captain Kirk guiding the USS Enterprise through their cosmic adventures. But nowadays, William Shatner has moved from space to navigating the crypto universe as a spokesperson for Solar Alliance, a company that's about to build the world's first solar-powered Bitcoin mining operation in southern Illinois. Mr. Shatner, a pleasure to have you on Fast Money. Thanks so much for joining us. The, the pleasure is mine, but the mistake is thinking I know anything about Bitcoin mining. I, I know about how to power the computers that uh, mine for Bitcoin, but the, that is a strange area for everybody. So how'd you get involved in this? I'm, I'm curious because uh, the big push here is this conversion of this former Illinois um, power plant into a solar-powered Bitcoin mining operation, and you've been That's brought on exactly as a right. spokesperson. You once at one point called um, Bitcoin a cyber snob currency. So how'd you get into this? Well, I got into solar power because of my interest in the environment, and I uh, 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 solarized my house using Solar Alliance as the company. And then I started to speak to this uh, the, the CEO, uh, uh, Jason Bach, uh, a bright uh, Canadian, as most Canadians are, I may add. <laughs> and uh, he leads the company. And uh, so Solar Alliance has done a phenomenal thing along with the town of Murfreesboro and its uh, uh, great uh, mayor, We've taken an empty building that was standing idle and we're electrifying it with solar and much from the grid and we're supplying power to the vast number of computers that are needed to mine for Bitcoin. And that's where we come in. As against in the uh, gold mining uh, rush days where miners would uh, sit around and, and, and pan for gold, we're supplying the pickaxes uh, for the mining of gold, which is the electric power. Do you have any sort of in internal debate or did you have it when you got involved? Because obviously Bitcoin mining as in general consumes so much power. So basically you're you're still using power and granted it's solar powered, but we're still using that power instead of powering homes um, by that Illinois plant to mine yes, Bitcoin. But look, and, the, the many jobs are being offered in Murfreesboro, which was a former coal town, 
suddenly they're in green power and our company, Solar Alliance, is all for educating the public and, 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 uh, and supplying uh, solar power to the public in, in business, in, in uh, commercial and in uh, personal uh, and in homes. So that this change from fossil fuel to uh, power from the sun is a necessity for the, for the world, really, let alone the country. And we, Solar Alliance, are in the forefront in looking for opportunities like we've taken in Murfreesboro mm -hmm. to partner in other towns with who are, are languishing, bringing business, such advanced right. business as this with computers. Uh, Mr. Shatner, thanks so much for joining us. Hope you'll keep us posted here on Fast Money with uh, all your pursuits. Indeed. Thank you for having me. All right, William Shatner, formerly awesome. known as Captain Kirk. Up next, Final Trades. Like that. We went to the final frontier, but Pete still couldn't win the pitch. Oh. Chevron. <laughs> Logical. It's all good. Time for the final trade, Pete. I'm going to go with CVX. I think this thing's going higher. Giddy up. Isn't that one working, Mindy? No, 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 no. Working <laughs> long and prosper. <laughs> Klingon had a cryptocurrency called Talon. By the way, Alibaba, buy this thing while it's down and cling on Talon. 32. Uh, I never buy this stuff, but I'm buying Tesla Engine tomorrow and next week's event. Oh. I'm just a Dr. Mel. You know where that's from? No. Give it to a doctor. No. See, Pete knows. Good stuff. Anyway. Tesoro, the healthcare name, much too cheap here. Cowan over here understands. We get it. See you back here at five for fast. Mad Money starts now. Cowan over Cowan here. gets it. <laughs> this podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.